tonight we're going to continue on with basics of faith. And this I call this part two, the privilege of choice. And we're going to use uh, Deuteronomy 30, 19 and 20 as a kind of a starting point. Because choosing life is an amazing gift. Last week we talked about sozo, salvation, being saved, healed, delivered by the power of Jesus Christ and all he did at the cross and all that's available. But it needs to be received. John 1 and 12 says, but to as many as received him, to them he gave power to become children of God, even to them that believe on his name. The word received there is lambano. We talk about that often, except what is offered. So we've got a choice that we need to make along the way. Then there's also the area of a little phrase that I've used a lot is being saved some more. It's ongoing, continuous action of a supernatural process. The word of God is supernatural. It has the power within itself to cause itself to come to pass because it's not the word of man, it's the word of God. When God speaks, it's alive and it produces something. And it has to be accepted and received also and assimilated into our being. Then we're changed and transformed by the word growing on the inside of us. So we have a choice to choose, choice to obey, to receive life. Deuteronomy 30, 19 and 20 says this, I call heaven and earth to record or to witness against you this day that I set before you life and death, blessing and cursing. Now therefore choose life. Notice this, that you and your descendants may live by loving the Lord your God, by obeying his voice, by clinging to him, for he is your life in the length of your days. It was a scripture that was ministered to me shortly after I was saved. And man, I can't tell you how much scripture that I had had ministered to me in some dimension that I didn't get until I took hold and received Jesus Christ. And then all of a sudden the scripture started making sense to me. And there was something of assimilating and believing it. And the choosing life is huge. See, the spirit gives life Flesh profits nothing. The words that I speak unto you, their spirit and their life. So the very oracles of God, the speaking of God's word has a, a, the ability to separate, a scripture I use as we prayed, separate between the soul and the spirit. We're going to talk a little more about that again. We did last week. But the, the ability to divide so that faith comes. That's really the issue that needs to be established. That's how we get saved, how we get saved some more, how we live life, how to make right choices need to be by faith and the instruction and the help that God gives. We're going to look at some of those things in detail tonight. Now, you will serve someone or something. We've got to make a choice. So we're going to talk a little bit about choosing. And this is where the soul comes in. Sometimes we put a lot of emphasis and I do for sure on the spirit because the spirit part of us is that's how we're made like God. We're made in his image. God is spirit. Those that worship him must worship in the spirit and in truth. But the soul also is the mind, the will and the emotions and the will is a big part of this. And I will serve the Lord. And Joshua said that to, to Israel just before he passed. He said, listen, you guys got to make a choice. You're going to serve the gods that were before the river or the gods of the Amorites, or you got to make that choice. And then he says, but as for me and my house, 
we will serve the Lord. There's declaration there. And Paul says in another place, he says, I have believed, therefore have I spoken. And it's out of the abundance of the heart that the mouth speaks. So declaration of what you believe is huge. Not trying to make it happen, but a release of faith in what you put your trust in. So the influence of someone or something, in this case, the influences of Jesus Christ and the power of the Holy Spirit and the written word of God as well, taking hold of that. So choice started in the garden. And it's the same today. Now, at that time, one commandment only. It wasn't the Ten Commandments or all the others that went along with it, just one. In Genesis 2, 16 and 17, it says, The Lord God commanded the man, saying, From every, any tree of the garden you may eat freely, but from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat from it you will surely die. Now, the greatest error that was made at that point is when the snake started talking that Adam did not go to the Lord. This is before Eve ever came along. He had this commandment, this directive. And so Norman Geisler said this, I thought was kind of interesting. He said, it was not the apple on the tree, it was a pear on the ground. And so it's an interesting how choices were made. In essence, choice not to obey, to believe a lie. And our lives are, you know, consisting of choices one after another. So let me define choice just a little bit. To decide for or select a journey, a course of life, or a mode of action. And also it's right, power, and opportunity to choose the act. To decide what you want from two or more possibilities. Now it's interesting that sooner or later... You will do what you want to do. Now, you may obey somebody to please them or even try to please the Lord for a while, but until your will is aligned with the will of God, then we've got a problem. And we're going to talk about this a little more as far as the world is concerned. In uh, Romans, Romans 12, 2, it says, Don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the entire renewal of your mind so that you would know what the will of God is even as good and perfect will for you. Then Psalm 40, it also says, I have come to do your will. In the scroll of the book is written to me, I've come to do your will, O God. And I believe that was prophetic for Jesus, etc. come to do the will of the Lord. But I believe it was the writer there also. There's declaration, a decision that needs to be made. So we're going to look at some of the process of making these choices. So here's a couple of questions that we could entertain for a bit. What is the desire of your heart? Heart is a combination of soul and spirit. Psalm 37, he says, he will give you the desires of your heart. But that's another area of coming, seeking for and desiring that. Now between soul and spirit, who is winning the inner battle? What's going on in, in our lives? That pendulum we talk about, it swings back and forth between the spirit and the flesh. Two against one will always win. So if the soul and the spirit are joined together, it'll make the flesh do things it doesn't want to do. But if the soul is joined to the flesh, it'll drag your born-again spirit or keep you from being born again because of the appetites of the flesh. These things are strong. 
and there's a, a battle that comes against us. So another question is, do you need or want any help in this? We have a helper, we have the Holy Spirit, and we also have the written word of God. So if you go with me for a moment here to Psalm 25, I had fully intended to teach on Psalm 25, but I really felt the Lord said, these are so many basic things that need to be gone over again and again. And one of my faithful mentors taught me, he said, listen, a good teacher is a repeater. He said, I'm going to say this to you a lot of times. And one of the things that I so appreciated in his ministry to us, because he just took a bunch of us young guys and he was a retired pastor. He would tell us God stories what God had done. He showed us how these things worked in the real world. So it wasn't just the theology of it, but it was a practicum. And I think that's something times we miss that. And particularly just would encourage you parents, teach these things to your children and not just your successes. Sometimes we need to say, well, you know, I heard the Lord and I just didn't do it. That can be an amazing teaching tool of how we can learn how to walk in the spirit and how to be able to teach our children. Because remember the word said, it'll be for you and your descendants that it may go well with you in the land which the Lord your God has given you. So whatever turf you have the privilege of occupying and the stewardship with your children, teaching your children, not just Bible stories, but how to hear Jesus Christ for themselves. My sheep hear my voice, I know them, and they follow me. And these precious little lambs also need to be instructed in how to be able to hear and to be able to walk in the things of the Spirit of God. Psalm 25, we're going to pick up with verse 12 to start with. This whole thing has just been an amazing place. Psalm 25 is a place when I need to recenter again and I need to establish myself or my I get what I call soul stuck from time to time and no faith in me. I need to go to Psalm 25 and refresh it. The first couple of verses really are, are meaningful to me personally. It says, unto you, O Lord, do I lift up my soul. O my God, I trust in you. Let me not be ashamed. Let not my enemies triumph over me. And sometimes the enemy is just a demonic dimension. Sometimes it's just fear, doubt, and unbelief that needs to be refreshed. And I've heard the Lord say this to me a number of times. He said, now, listen, you believed it over in this circumstance. Now I want you to believe it in the circumstance you're in right now on purpose. This is where the exercise of the soul and the will is a very important one. Because he says, unto you, O Lord, do I lift up my soul. So that's part of the area of learning how to walk in the spirit. So verse 12, who is the man who fears the Lord? He will instruct him in the way he should choose. That's our helper. You know, Jesus Christ has sent us a helper, the Holy Spirit. We're going to talk about that in ex extensively next week. But for right now, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. He is, and the Holy Spirit is the spirit of Jesus and the Father, they're all one. And so the instruction comes now in the area of which way to choose? Choosing by the Spirit is an imperative because 
I guarantee you, your flesh is like mine and it can rummage around with a lot of thought patterns trying to figure out what to do or develop methodology or great effort trying to clean our act up or try to fix things or to try to make a solution to whatever it happens to be. But until faith comes, we're not able to be pleasing unto the Lord. Without faith, it's impossible to please him. And he who comes to God must believe that he is, that he exists, and that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. So the seeking after till faith comes. <clears throat> and I always tell people, don't miss the wrestling through part. Because sometimes we're having to wrestle through and struggle in that area. But when your heart lets go, faith comes. That's what we're looking for. Then we can move. And what seemed an insurmountable area many times becomes relatively easy by comparison. Because we're hearing from God and we're moving in the faith and a confidence that belongs to children of God. So instructing is really good. It's part of the equipping. It's learning how to walk by this and learning specifically how you personally hear God. You know, Donna and I are, are hardwired differently. I like to get still. She, when she's on the move, she tends to hear the Lord better when she's vacuuming or cooking or knitting or whatever she's happening to be doing, working in the garden. She hears the Lord. I just like to get still or off by myself. So how you process the word of God and hearing the Lord is an imperative. Because I think a lot of times we're trying to model after someone else or watch what they did or reading books or going to seminars and teaching about hearing the Lord. I, I don't decry that. But when push comes to shove, you're hardwired differently than any person on the planet. And so if you can come into that place of learning to process with him, you know his voice. And I remember one of the sisters, someone had brought her a prophetic word and she says, I know that was not the Lord because he doesn't speak to me that way. So there's something of a sensitivity and an intimacy that's developed. It's part of the equipping and the modeling that we come in relationship with him and he begins to teach us. <clears throat> Isaiah uh, 33, verse 6 says, and he will be stability in your times. Boy, do we need that word. He gave that to me at the very beginning of the year in January, and I didn't have any idea at that time what an imperative verse that would be. It says, he will be stability in your times, a wealth of wisdom and salvation, and the fear of the Lord is his treasure. The treasure of the fear of the Lord gives us the ability to hear God and be able to come into that area. So fear of the Lord is not terror. Well, sometimes it is when we're really out to lunch somewhere. Terror is not a bad thing then. It makes a course correction relatively easy. But there's one that I found here on fear is a reverential, uh, a reverence, excuse me, for God expressed in submission to his will. That's that was just Carlin. As I taught on, on the fear of the Lord a, a number uh, of weeks ago, that really began to ring in my heart because sometimes we equate fear with something that shrinks back from God rather than coming in and desiring his will and asking him to produce that in us. Verse 13, <clears throat> his soul will abide in prosperity. Dwell at ease, Amplified says, and his descendants 
will inherit the earth. The secret of the Lord is with those who fear him and he will make them know his covenant. My eyes are continually toward the Lord and he will pluck my feet from the net. There's something so precious about that relational area. It's just like, don't go that way, go this way. I just remember an instance when my son was still in college in Seattle, we were taking him down there and, and Donna says, why don't we just go the ferry this time? You know, just kind of almost off the top of her head. Well, it turned out there was a big pileup on I-5 that we missed by going down the ferry. But it was that simple impression, let's do this. So sometimes they come through, they just kind of drift through. Other times they come very pointed. Again, listening to those promptings and the whisperings and breathings of the Spirit of God, I cannot emphasize how important that is in decision making. <clears throat> Psalm 1611 says, you will show me the path of life. In your presence is fullness of joy and at your right hand there's pleasure forevermore. That relational intimacy when in showing you, see in, in a scripture that goes right along with that is in Isaiah 30, verse 21. And it says, you will hear a voice or a word behind you saying, this is the way, walk in it. When you would turn to the right hand or turn to the left. We were so grateful, you know, just thinking back on even that, that trip to Seattle of how we avoided all that carnage that was in, in I-5 on that particular day. And we were protected but the prompting of the Spirit of God needs to be followed. So the area of choosing life, um, you have to want this, this life. And I think the mentor I was sharing with you about uh, earlier, telling those God stories and seeing the results of, of a man that had walked as a missionary and a pastor over a lot of years, and their track record of faithfulness going through some incredibly difficult things, some of that stimulated faith in my heart and began to say, you know, I want to do whatever it takes to get a hold of these kinds of things. Then you have to choose it. It's a choice. We talked about that. And you have to fight for it. So we have to fight the flesh. You know, sometimes we're blaming a lot of stuff on the enemy that's just plain old flesh. And that flesh thing has got to be put down. And we'll talk a little bit more about that in a moment. And the enemy. So these are very real things. So we'll expand on that a bit. But John 6, 63, Jesus said, the spirit gives life. Flesh profits nothing. The words that I speak unto you, their spirit and their life. So there's choosing to take hold of the word. Now, I've used that word in, uh, earlier in um, Jeremiah 15, 16. It says, your words were found and I did eat them. It's kind of like the old adage is that you are what you eat. I'll tell you what, the word of God feeds your spirit, man, woman, on the inside of you. And it does for children as well. And so feeding on his word, feed on his faithfulness. And this just illustration comes to mind. I heard a, a man say this on the radio a lot of years ago. He said, starve your doubts to death. And I hadn't thought about that for a long time. And I said to the Lord, how do you do that? He took me right to Psalm 37. He said, feed on my faithfulness and you will be fed. Don't feed the doubt, feed on my word. 
And that changes our perspective and gives us insight, gives us counsel of how to be able to make choices in the way that he should choose, how to be able to walk in that. Now, if you go with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 3, we're going to look at some of these, yeah, what shall I say? These principles of the word of God, the process of it, and the ability to assimilate things by the spirit. Because we're well trained in soul stuff and making decisions and logic and figure things out, etc. But sometimes the area of doing things by the spirit is a little bit foreign. And the interesting thing about hearing the Lord also, God talks when he wants to. Sometimes he answers immediately when we pray or when we're asking him questions, etc. Sometimes there is not a whole lot going on right now. And that's a difficult place because the learning to wait for instruction and wait for the word rather than just going ahead on our own. Saul found out that was not a real good thing when he began to do the sacrifices, etc. He lost the kingdom. So the area of learning to wait is an imperative, but learning to wait with expectation, learning to wait in worship and being at peace in the process until he speaks. And then many times, all of a sudden, and I've had this happen multiple times. I've totally forgotten I've even asked for something and all of a sudden something drops into my heart. I know it's him. And that, or someone will say something or Donna will say something or Jake or Rick or whoever would say something and all of a sudden, ooh, that's the answer to my problem or my question. And I come in there because then faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of Christ. Okay, uh, 2 Corinthians 3, starting with verse 4. And such confidence we have through Christ toward God. Confidence is an imperative. Arrogance is stupidity. But confidence is necessary. And this is the confidence that we have in him, that if we make any request according to his will, we know that he hears us. If we know that he hears us, we have granted to us as our present possession things we ask of him when you can't see anything. That's what faith looks like. There's a confidence in his character, in his word, and the promises of his word. So confidence is, is incredibly necessary. Not that we are adequate in ourselves to consider anything is coming from ourselves, but our adequacy is from God. Now notice this, who made us adequate as servants of a new covenant, not of the letter or the law or works, but of the spirit. For the letter kills, but the spirit gives life. And that equates to John uh, 6.63, the spirit gives life. So the, the choosing of it and receiving of it and asking for it and seeking for it with diligence is, it, it's a learning process also. Because sometimes there have been things I thought, man, I, I, boy, I'm sure this is the Lord. And it turned out, man, that was just less as flesh. And so then we regroup. And I've heard him say this to me. Now, he said, now, that didn't work out well. Why don't we try it this way? And then he speaks again and he uses our failure. So it isn't ever three strikes and you're out. You swing till you hit the ball. And sometimes we have to have a repeated test from time to time in order to train us how to be able to walk his way and not my way. And he's such a gracious father. So if you page over to the right just a little bit to chapter 10, in 2 Corinthians, 
And we'll look at a little bit more procedure. I'm kind of a procedure guy. I always worked with my hands a lot of the years and I like to know how things work. Well, learning how to work things in the spirit is a little bit different, but it requires, again, being trained and equipped and ready for every good work. Uh, 2 Corinthians 10, I'm going to start with verse 3. For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but are but divinely powerful, or one trusted and mighty through God for the destruction of fortresses or strongholds. Sometimes there's a stronghold, a belief system of fear or doubt, or just plain old assault that's paralyzed us and prevented us from moving in faith. And it says, for we are destroying speculations and every lofty thing raised up against the knowledge of God. And we are taking every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. Now, I learned this in the King James, and I love this particular translation. It says, casting down of imaginations and every high thing that has exalted itself over the knowledge of God and bringing into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ. Because the battleground's in the soul. That's the mind, the will, and the emotions. And there's a lot of things that we battle, and we'll look at those a little more in a moment. But it's one of the things that we struggle with is inserted thought patterns. The enemy is very crafty. Started this kind of rubbish in the garden. You know, has God really said, you know, you're not going to die? Blah, blah, blah. Just goes on and on. He's a liar. But there's always a shred of truth. Because if you do this, you'll be like God. It's like God was holding out something on Adam in this whole issue in the garden. And so the enemy comes with, it isn't a blatant lie. Often, sometimes it is, we'll discount those pretty quickly. But those that have got something twisted and something just like, ah, it doesn't feel good. So those are the areas of coming back and inviting the Lord to show us what's really going on in a given situation. I had this a little further down, but I think I need to insert it. When those kind of thought patterns come or we're tempted in a way to do something that intuitively you know is, is wrong, this is a good time to be a tattletale on the devil. And one of the ways you can do that is to tell Jesus out loud what the enemy is tempting you to do. And so this is the way I use that. I say, okay, Jesus, he's saying it again, and this is what he's saying. So I tell Jesus out loud exactly what the thought pattern was. I haven't found anything to shut the devil up any faster than that. And then I'll say, but Jesus, what do you say? And sometimes he'll give me a scripture, something that I've known in the past, or he'll say, now just ignore that. Or we go back to that Hebrews 12 too, in the Amplified, it says, looking away from all that would distract to Jesus, who's the author and finisher of your faith. Because right at that moment, I need fresh faith birthed in me because there's nothing in the bucket. And I'm illogically trying to figure this thing out. And I'm distracted by the lie and the deceit of the enemy. And so listening for the word of the Lord, or he will say, just ignore that. Look away from that. Look at me. And he makes me look him in the eye and those are the kind of times I'm always seeing approval. And the, the approval of God are made acceptable. We talked about that last week. He, whereby he has made us to be accepted in the beloved. Not because I've done it right, because I'm his child. I belong to him. 
So those relational places and exposing the enemy is key in spiritual warfare and being able to shut down these foul things that come at us. These imaginations of the mind, things that have exalted themselves. And then it says bringing into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ. So we talked about soul and spirit. And then there's opposition in pretty much all of life. John 10, 10, Jesus said, the thief comes only to steal and to kill and to destroy. But I have come that you could have life. That's the life we're talking about choosing. His life, his way. And then he says that you may have it more abundantly. Language there is actually super abundant. It's above abundance. The abundance of God is amazing. Then we also have the spiritual warfare part of this thing. Go with me to Ephesians chapter 6. Paul is talking here about the armor of God. And that's a whole teaching in itself. Man, I'd get off on that in a heartbeat. Because every part of the armor is Jesus Christ. It represents him all the way through. But I want us to look at verse 12. It says, for our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers and against the powers, against the world forces of this darkness, against the spiritual forces of wickedness in heavenly places. There's a battle and it's real. And I think there's a lot of people in a lot of People are church going people that have not understood that we're in a spiritual battle. Jesus laid this out very clearly in a number of places, but the one I just quoted out of John 10 10, the thief comes only. He comes to rip you off. He comes to lie, to steal, to undermine, and in essence, to send you off to hell. But we are here to receive life and to be able to receive blessing. Now, understanding a little bit, I'm going to recommend a book not because of its theology, but because of the insight. This Present Darkness is the name of, of the book by Frank Peretti. And it gives, I think, Frank receives, as a, as, a, as a pastor, receives some real insight into the spirit realm and how to be able to communicate these things. The other thing that's equally important in this book is the importance of prayer and what prayer does and what prayer moves and changes in given situations in relationship to believing prayer. I think it's an excellent book to have some spiritual insight with. Now, if you go with me to 1 John chapter 2, it's the John's just before Revelation. 1st, 2nd, 3rd John, Jude and Revelation. But I want us to talk about the world because it was a world forces of darkness. The world in the flesh are things that undermine the credibility of who we are. And it, it, it stimulates appetite of the flesh as well. Verse 15 of chapter 2. Do not love the world nor the things of the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the boastful pride of life is not from the Father, but is from the world. And the world is passing away, and also it's lust. But the one who does the will of God abides forever. There's a hook in these kinds of things in our flesh. It's that old sin nature that tends to exalt itself over the knowledge of God. And the enemy is always telling us who, are, who we're not. He tempts us into whatever sin, and then condemns us and ridicules us for falling into the very thing he tempts us into. He's, he's a wicked adversary. 
And that's why the credibility of the blood work of Jesus Christ is so incredibly important. And to know what the word of God says as opposed to what the lie that the enemy brings. So our flesh gravitates to the world in temptation. The enemy knows our track record and our appetites. Now, 1 Corinthians 10, 13 says, No temptation has come to you, but such is common to man, and such as man can bear. And God is faithful to his compassionate nature, not to allow you to be tempted beyond your ability to resist, and will, with the temptation, always provide the way of escape, a means to a landing place that you may be secure and able to bear it. So the enemy cannot come at you with some foul thing that you don't have any ability to resist. Now, you may need to go through a struggle. You may need to press into the Lord. You need to go to his word, whatever. Or you may need to get someone to pray for you in this dimension because I've had to do this multiple times. And there's, there's a power of agreement where it says, if any two of you on earth shall agree as touching anything they shall ask, here's the phrase, it'll be done for them by my Father who's in heaven. So the ability to press into these things, when we are tempted, there are times we just need some help. Even Jesus cried out in the garden that this cup would pass from him and asked the boys to be praying and they fell asleep. I've fallen asleep interceding a time or two also when I needed to be awake and be on board. But the grace of the Lord is for us in these things. So we need a foundation in the word of God and in the power of the Holy Spirit. Now, when these deceitful things of the enemy tempts us or accuses us, whatever, Jesus said to this, this to the boys in Luke 10, 19 and 20. It says, behold, I give you authority, power and authority to tread on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy and nothing shall by means hurt you. But do not rejoice in this, that the spirits are subject to, to you. Rejoice that your name is written in heaven. That's what gives us authority over the enemy. And there comes a point in time where you need to learn the authority that you have to make the enemy shut up. Uh, when Rick is teaching, and I've been doing this for a lot of different pastors over the years, of praying and interceding while they're preaching. I did that with Jake just this past Sunday, be praying for him. But you'd be amazed at some of the rubbish that comes at my mind during that time frame. And I just have to say, shut up and get away from me. In Jesus' name, be still. Otherwise, and sometimes, just like I said earlier, sometimes you just got to ignore it. But you got to recognize you have authority. You do not have to put up with his rubbish. And it's interesting, in that particular scripture, authority there is the word exosia. It's privilege, right, and authority. And it's the same one to, to become, the, the right to become children of God. And the other word over the power of the enemy is dunamis. It's a supernatural power of the enemy. So he cannot come with supernatural power that you don't have any weapon against. Because Jesus has promised in his word that we could not be tempted beyond our ability to resist. But we have to choose the weaponry. We have to choose to believe and trust, come in faith. And yes, sometimes we have to come in weakness. Because sometimes we just want to be strong in the Lord and the power of his might. You know, well, some of the strength comes in a point of weakness as opposed to being very successful. 
in spiritual battle. So faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of Christ. And then James says to receive the word implanted, which is able to save your souls. So if we're not warring in the flesh, how then? By the spirit. Let's go to Galatians and we'll look at a little more of this. And I say this probably every time I preach, you know, this is only a Costco taste. I know Costco doesn't give taste things anymore, but they used to. Some of us are old enough to remember that. You know, you get a pretty good meal just wandering around from time to time and sampling all the things they have in there. But you know, that's what a lot of people do too. They sample the word of God and they don't buy it. They don't own it. They don't invest in it and they don't eat it. Now you can pack your Bible around, but I'll tell you what, you know, the words on the page have to become alive to us. And so we have to go down the aisle because, you know, some of that stuff in Costco, just mm, that's not so much. Other than, ooh, where is that? I want some more of that. So that's what I'm hoping to do. I'm hoping to whet your appetite, to search these things out, own them for yourself. There's a certain amount of faith that I believe that you can get receiving from Jake and Rick and myself or whoever else you're listening to uh, teaching the word of God. But when you search it out on your own and you begin to discover things, that aha moment of seeing truth, oh my, those are amazing. So uh, Galatians chapter five, we're going to read verses 16 and 17 and then a couple of more. But I say, walk by the spirit and you will not carry out the desire of the flesh. That's part again of walking by the spirit is casting down of imaginations and every high thing that's exalted itself over the knowledge of God. For the flesh sets its desire against the spirit and the spirit against the flesh. For these are in opposition to one another. So you cannot do the things that you please. Verse 24. And then there's the listing of, of the deeds of the flesh and also the fruit of the spirit. And that again is a teaching all on its own that I would love to get into right now. But we'd be here all night. Now Jake and I could be here all night and that, but the rest of you would probably shut us off. Now, verse 24. Now those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and its desire. I just want to insert something in that area. I wish that was a one-time event. But you know the flesh has an ability to resurrect itself again from time to time and to exalt itself over the knowledge of God with, with knowledge. So it isn't in ignorance sometimes. It's just flesh desired appetite that can pull us off. Verse 25, if we live by the Spirit, let us also walk by the Spirit. Now, I really believe that this is something that is a necessity to do with some dimension of the body of Christ. I think the person that tries to, to live by themselves outside of the body or separated from the body is in serious trouble and in jeopardy. There's a being together and being accountable to one another and being able to assist each other. And I've had people come and bring me corrective things that I didn't even realize I was doing or thinking or believing or wandering off the trail. And someone will say, no, what, what did you mean by that? Where were you going with that? I'm going, I don't know. Help me. Pray for me. So we pray for one another and we encourage one another. We exhort one another back to the word of God again. We, we're not in a place of being condemning, 
You know, that, that's just silliness. But I remember Jerry Cook said this a, a lot of years ago. He said, you know, when people know that you love them, you can say some incredibly strong things to them. And I've had people love me enough to bring corrective things into my life that I desperately needed because I was just off and I needed to, to be corrected. Now, uh, lust is, is used in a, the desire of the flesh or lust of the flesh. It's the same word that's in 1 John. You know, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eye, and the boastful pride of life is a craving, longing desire for what is forbidden. Why does our flesh always want to do that? And I think it's a combination of an appetite, a desire that has not been fully put to death, and the, the temptating, uh, temptation of the enemy that comes into it. So let's look over at James. James talks a little bit more about this as well. James chapter 1. <clears throat> Pardon me a minute while I find James. <clears throat> James is one of those writers that's about as subtle as a brick to the window. He just goes right at it. He doesn't dance around anything at all. He just speaks the truth. But boy, does it penetrate it. I often think about Rick said that from up here one time a number of years ago. He said, sometimes the word of God just offends me because it just pokes me where I don't want to be poked. But it is such a righteous thing to have our God poke us with his word so that we don't get carried away with, with sin and go off down the wrong trail. Uh, James chapter 1, starting with verse 13. Let no one say when he is tempted, I'm being tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted by evil, and he, he himself does not tempt anyone. But each one is tempted when he is carried away and enticed by his own lust. And lust, when it is conceived, it gives birth to sin. And when sin is accomplished, it brings forth death. That's why the whole area of choosing life and refusing death and the curse is such an imperative area. And making choices and decisions that are based on truth rather than on what feels good. We're going to look at one of those here in a moment as well. Now go with me and I'm just giving you procedural things that will help in being able to learn how to walk by the Spirit, not to fulfill the lust of the flesh. So go with me to Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8, you could just live in that chapter for an extended period of time. The theology and the truth and the revelation that's there. Just the beginning of this thing, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. See, the enemy, fear and condemnation are the two favorite weapons of the enemy. To bring terror, to get you to shrink back and not participate at all, or condemn you for, well, you're not doing it right. And then giving us a bunch of legalistic stuff that undermines the credibility of grace. Grace gives us divine ability to do that which we could not or would not previously do. Gives us the ability to choose and take hold of the grace that is being extended to us in the mercies of God. So we're just going to take a few of these verses and read down through these. These, these things are just full of truth. Verse 5, Romans chapter 8. For those who are according to the flesh, here it is, set their minds on the things of the flesh. 
but those who are according to the spirit, the things of the spirit. Now, verse six, for the mind set on the flesh is death, but the mind set on the spirit is life and peace. And I've got written in the margin of my Bible, it takes work to set your mind. There is a battle and we just gone through some of the procedural things that we're walking by the spirit and not by the flesh. And there's a consistency in that and being able to follow the Lord, feeding your spirit and, and not feeding, you know, with CNN or Fox News or whatever you do. I mean, that stuff will make you crazy. So you got to come into a place where you're buying the truth and do not sell it. Truth is not just a fact. Truth is a person. That's the most important choice one person can ever make is making Jesus Christ Lord of your life receiving what the word of God says. It's not in that, well, God says it, but it doesn't really mean that. Yeah, he does. He means what he says and he says what he means. And the area of buying into that and allowing that to change and transform and make attitudes adjustments in us will help your chooser on the inside. You see, some of the things that are going around on the inside of us are not necessarily actions that we've taken or words that we've spoken. Sometimes the internal conversations and what we're choosing to think about or believe about a person or situation are more, more sinful, more wicked than anything that we ever do on the outside. That's why bringing into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ who only did what he saw the Father doing. So, you know, most of you have heard my little adage in that area. Father, what are you doing? What's my part in it? How can I most quickly align with that? And it isn't just external, it's internal. It's in the soul where you have to set your mind on things above, not things beneath. Verse seven, because the mind set on the flesh is hostile toward God. Does that sound like Galatians? We just had, you know, the flesh and the spirit be in opposition to one another. For it does not subject itself, key phrase, to the law of God, for it is not even able to do so. 1 Corinthians 2.14 says the natural man or the soul man does not comprehend the things of the Spirit of God. He's incapable of it. There's blockage there. And so that's why the saving power needs to come. And those who are in the flesh cannot please God. No faith. However, you are not in the flesh, but in the spirit, if indeed the spirit of God dwells in you. But if anyone does not have the spirit of Christ, he does not belong to him. Spirit of God comes when we're saved. Jake was talking about this on Sunday. There's the within and upon. We'll talk about that more next week. So then, brethren, we are under obligation not to the flesh to live according to the flesh. For if you are living according to the flesh, you must die. See, that's a choice. If we're choosing to live in the flesh, death is attached to that. And that's why he says our original scripture at the beginning of this thing, I set before you life and death, blessing and cursing, therefore choose life. But if by the spirit you are putting to death the deeds of the flesh, you will live. See, the spirit of God teaches us how to put things to death. There's the prompting of the spirit of God that can be ignored. When you hear the voice behind you saying, Les, now just don't do that. Don't entertain that thought. Don't go down that. I've got a choice to make whether I'm going to obey the Spirit of God or not. I can tell you by experience, I've done it both ways. 
it is a whole lot more profitable to obey immediately the Spirit of God. For all who are being led by the Spirit of God, these are the sons of God. And these are the inheritances that we have been given. Now, I want you to go to 2 Timothy chapter 3, kind of where we started out tonight. And we're going to look at some of the consequences of those who have hardened a heart, which we talked about last week, and turned away. <clears throat> So I'm going to start with verse 16 and read down through that again because it bears repeating. All scripture is inspired by God and is profitable. The prophet is knowing him, not about him, knowing him. I shared this earlier today in a situation. Um, there was a time frame where the Lord said to me, he said, you're worshiping your Amplified Bible. You're going and finding a scripture and standing on that scripture, he says, but you're not coming to me. And that was incredibly convicting. And it's kind of the indictment that Jesus brought against the Pharisees also. He said, you search the scriptures because in them you think you have eternal life. They, they speak of me. So he's always inviting. The love call is always the same. Come child, come as you are, not as you ought to be. Bring your stuff, let's process together because I love you. It's the love of God and the mercy of God. So as we begin to see the, the, the written word of God is something that brings stability and truth into our lives and it reveals a person. His name is Jesus. That is the, the, that's the greatest gift that we've been given. So it's profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness that the man of God may be adequate and equipped for every good work. This is a place, again, where the chapter division kind of stops the context. But he says, I solemnly charge you, Tim, in the presence of God and of, Jesus, and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead, and by his appearing in his kingdom, preach the word. Be ready in season or out of season. Amplified adds, whether it's convenient or inconvenient, reprove, rebuke, exhort with great patience and instruction. For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine. All I've been speaking to you tonight has been sound doctrine because it's coming right out of the word of God. This is the words of less. So if you're upset with this or it's poking you, it's not my word, it's his word. They will not endure sound doctrine, but wanting to have their ears tickled, they will accumulate for themselves teachers in accordance with their own desires or lust and will turn away their ears from the truth and will turn aside to myths or fables or man-made fictions. But you be sober in all things, endure hardship, do the work of an evangelist, fulfill your ministry. Well, you say, well, that's, you know, you, in that verse five in there, you know, do the work of an evangelist. That was to Tim or to pastors or leaders, etc. Listen, people, if you know Jesus, you know something that somebody else probably doesn't know. You can be saved for 10 minutes. Sometimes there's, there's, there's an anointing that comes when you first receive Jesus and you've got something to say. So part of the principle of the kingdom, if you want to keep in this, you have to give it away. Share it with somebody. Minister to it. Intercession first and then do what he tells you to do. But verse 3, it says, The time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine. I believe we're smooth in the middle of that right now. 
You just have to look at our nation and the world where we're at. This is exactly what it is. People want to do what they want to do, but they don't want God to tell them what to do. This whole anti-Semitic area is, is just another evidence of that, of the, the hate of not just the Jewish people, of God and God's people. Those are God's people and it's God's nation. And he says, this is, this is my, Jerusalem's my place. This isn't even in my notes, but it's one of those things that just stirs me from time to time. They talk about making dumb decisions. You know, in, in Genesis 12, the Lord says very clearly to Abraham, those who bless you, I will bless. And those who curse you, I will curse. Talk about choosing the curse and sometimes inadvertently and ignorantly and stupidly in that area brings a curse on you. And there's a lot of people that are doing a lot of foolish things in undermining the credibility of who God is. And so I got to thinking about this word endure. And in Thayer's lexicon, he explains this one particular word is different than just kind of sucking it up and pushing through it. In essence, in context, and I think he's absolutely right, it said they will not listen to sound doctrine. Because down in verse 4, it says they will turn away their ears from the truth. And I think what happens is that people want feel-good stuff. And they will accumulate teachers that will condone what they're doing and lifestyles. And, and you just kind of fill in the blank in that area. People never want to sin by themselves. They always want to do it with somebody else. And so the feel-good stuff is without biblical guidelines and no boundaries. Now, the, the city of Jerusalem is a, is a good example of people and God's own people that resisted over a long time frame and Babylonian came in and took out the place. Excuse me. And in Nehemiah, as he's inspecting the damage as coming back to rebuild the city, this is the phrase, the walls are broken down and gates are burned with fire. And so the enemy had ingress and egress at will. And I think that's where a lot of people are at. They have no boundaries and the enemy runs rampant through there and their soul is running in seven directions at once. And there's no life in that at all. So what really feels good is the truth and confession. And all of a sudden you just get it all out, whatever it is that's going on. And when you're doing truth, there's a satisfaction in that and there's life in that. And that's how we get a hold of what will really change and transform our lives. Now, I just wrote this in my notes. It may poke me where I don't want to be poked, but in the end, it's satisfied because it is so right. That's where righteousness is produced. Not just in how we do things is what we believe and what we receive through that. So let's review a couple of things now as we bring this to conclusion. Deuteronomy 30, the choices of life are all through life. Then in Psalm 25, we looked at who is the man that fears the Lord? He will instruct him in the way he should choose. And then Jesus has given to us, this is a little bit out of last week's, when he was talking about those that hear my words and act on them. I'll show you what he's like. He's like a man who built a house on a foundation. He dug deep. And then when the storm came, it survived. 
And I have to tell us, people, storms are coming. They really are. And I don't know exactly what that's going to entail, but I'll tell you what, the enemy is trying to take out this nation and destroy it. And some of it's being trying to be destroyed from the inside out. And if there was ever a time for the church to be strong and to be able to do it together and come into alignment and to stand firm, not in the militant dimension in the natural realm, but I'll tell you what, being militant in the spirit realm, that's a whole other world. And learning how to be able to walk by the spirit is an imperative. Because there are times where things that sound good are not good. And that's why 1 Thessalonians 5.21 says, test all things, and then you hold on to that which is good. So the testing, many times, has to be, Don and I test together all the time in that area. What do you think about this? Where, where do you think we're going? How do we do this? And we do this with our staff. We process things. There's a number of things, and even how we minister to people, etc. And learning to do it together. Most of my ministry time frame, if at all possible, I'm ministering with another person. Now, there are times when I do personal ministry one-on-one, -on -one, but I have found it to be so much more effective because when Donna and I are ministering, for example, I'll be kind of leading the thing and then all of a sudden Donna will say something that will be so absolutely right on that I totally have missed. I can't bring her gift. She needs to bring her gift. Same as with Jake. Jake and I minister together from time to time. And then Jake will say something. And, oh, wow. Or sometimes we need just a little bit of a course correction. We're just off just enough to where we're not being coordinated in it. Or an area that just doesn't make sense to the logical mind, but it comes by a word of knowledge. It's one of the spiritual gifts. And then there's many times, and Donna brings this often as a word of wisdom that need how to be able to effectually assist this person into what the Spirit of God is saying in a given area. Uh, then we talked about the mindset on the Spirit is life and peace. That's, that's a choice. And it takes work to set your mind. As boy, I'll tell you what, sometimes my mind is, is headed in a direction, all of a sudden it just wanders off. It's amazing how we can just get pulled off the mark. So one of our questions is, again, how much do you want? Are you willing to fight for this? 1 Timothy 6, verse 12, Paul says this to Tim, fight the good fight of faith. Take hold of eternal life to which you were called and made a good confession in the presence of many witnesses. And learning how to do these things together. So I just made a list of a couple of things we might think about. Now you can choose to sin with knowledge. That's a choice. You can also choose to repent or continue in sin. Now, in, this, in the parable that Jesus taught about the prodigal, you know, the father didn't send care packages to the boy while he was in the pigsty. He was live, first living the good life, and then, you know, he, he got in trouble. All the bucks are gone. The inheritance is wasted, and, and etc. And then he says, I will go to my father, and I will say that I have sinned against heaven and against you, and I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Now, that's a great, I get, get off in that because I love the product because I've been a prodigal a time or two. And so the coming to understand the truth or a lie, do I receive that or do I ignore it when it comes? 
So the whisperings and breathings of the Spirit of God, that's why it's such an imperative. Because the enemy can transform him to himself as it were an angel of light. The enemy can come with some pretty weird things from time to time. Sounds good, it's not. So we're having to learn how to do that. And what you choose this day can affect the rest of your life. So I just would encourage anybody that's watching or listening in this area, you've never chosen to make Jesus Christ Lord of your life, the most important decision you could ever make because it has eternal consequences. And so that's the heart cry of the Father. Would you come? Would you come now? Would you come and receive? And there's a number of people that are just monkeying around. Some of you have made a decision for the Lord, but you've kind of wandered off the trail. It isn't like you've lost first love, you've left it. And we need to regroup again. We need to come into that place of surrender. Submission is one thing, but surrender Man, it's just that international thing, you know, just I give up, I quit. Surrender is to voluntarily give oneself over to the power of another. Power of the love of God, the mercy of God, and the grace of God. That needs to be received. It's a choice. And that's the privilege we have. God doesn't make robots of us, out of us. He brings us into a place where he creates power to willing to do for his good pleasure. And the first part of that is to work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. But the Amplified in verse 13, this is second, or Philippians 2, 12 and 13. It says, but not in your own strength, for it is God who is all the while effectually at work within you, creating and energizing power and desire, both to will and to do for his good pleasure. I love that area. So the creator God, he he created the world and everything in it, and he still creates in us the supernatural of power and ability to do what he's asking us to do. Now, doing it together, one more scripture in that area. Two are, this is Ecclesiastes 4.9. Two are better than one because they have a good return or reward for their labor. And then there's another word that says, knowing that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. So, Father, we thank you. We thank you, Lord, for the privilege of choice, the ability to come and receive that which you have laid in store, that which eye has not seen or ear heard or entered into the heart of man, those things that God has prepared for them that love him. But you reveal them to us by your spirit. So we welcome you, Spirit of God. Would you take those precious things of Jesus and make them known to us? Known for coming to receive the Lordship of Jesus Christ? And Lord, I'm just impressed right now. If there's anybody that's never done that, I pray for just the simplicity of saying, Lord Jesus, I receive you as my Lord and my Savior. And I repent of gone, having gone my own way and spoken my own words. And I surrender my life to you today. I give you full charge over my life. And I receive your lordship and your authority now in Jesus' name. Father, if anyone has prayed that prayer, I ask, Lord, that we would have opportunity to connect in some dimension. And I pray, Lord, for just your watch care over them to protect, to defend, and keep the enemy at bay so that as they have ingested truth and received you as truth yourself, 
Lord, that that would be protected and it would come to the full intended purpose of the Father heart of God in Jesus' holy name. Would you teach us how to be good choosers of life in Christ Jesus? Amen. Amen.